Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Right Turn, your one-stop shop for all things fiction writing. I'm your host, author Jordan M. Griffin, and today we'll be discussing backstory. What is it, when to do it, and when to leave it out. Real quick disclaimer, I apologize in advance if I sound nasally or congested. Uh, I'm getting over a cold, and so I'm trying my best, but if some words come out sounding like they came straight through my nose, I do apologize. Please bear with me. First, let's begin this lesson by giving ourselves a working definition of backstory. Now, this certainly isn't the only definition, nor might it be the best, but for our purposes and for our talk here today, I'm going to consider backstory to be all the lived experiences of a character and their relevant culture or world understanding. So what exactly does that mean? In simple terms, it's everything that has happened to a character before the story starts. This can include the things the character has direct experience with, such as their memories, friends, family, and status in their society. But it can also include the indirect influences a character may be dealing with, the history of that society they belong to, and its relationship to the other societies around them, the technological state of their community or lack thereof, their education, religion, and a hundred other things that collaborate to form a person into the collage that they are. Take, for example, a 30-year-old scientist living on a newly discovered planet. This woman lives at the intersection of many different roads. What family does she come from? A long line of scientists, in which she's one of many, expected to follow this path? Or an anomaly, the first in her family to go to university and maybe the only one to ever get off-world? How about her gender? How does this society treat women? Has she had to struggle for the corporate job she has now, proving herself twice as good as the men in the room? Or is this society egalitarian and has accepted her because of her test scores? Did she get the job because she's a woman, because they're trying to make up for some indifference they had previously? You can start to see how each of those scenarios would have a very different impact on the character and how that character is able to move in the world. Your characters will all have a unique set of experiences based on their inherent traits, the society they come from, and their experiences in the past. All of those things will create the outlook and personality the character carries forward into the story. We as writers talk about backstory because of the way it directly influences a character's understanding of the world, their wants and needs, and even their decisions about those things. A character who grew up with nothing might risk the wrath of a wealthy antagonist by stealing food from the table. A character who always knew where the next meal would come from would very likely not. Often, writers start their process with backstory because of the way it drives the impetus for the story's starting point. Where a story starts is usually the character reaching a point of, well, can't do this anymore. That could be because of an external event, such as the death of a close family member, or falling rocks destroying their village, or even something good, they won a golden ticket. Or it could be because of an internal event, the I won't take this treatment for another day, or I want something different for myself. Either way, your character's relationship to themselves and to the other people in their lives plays a major role in why this moment, right now, is where the story starts. Sometimes, writers lean too much into exposition at the start of their novel, especially on the first drafts, because they can feel the momentum of the story and where it lies in the character's past more than present for now. 
that's totally okay for a first draft. I find that usually when I'm writing, I have to give myself a paragraph or two or maybe even a page or two to orient myself in the story. Once I've written all the relevant back information leading up to that starting point, then I can go and cut it and leave only the parts that really matter for the here and now. How you weave in backstory from that point forward largely depends on your authorial style and where in the story needs more explanation. Personally, I tend to err on the side of too little information because I would rather the audience have some questions and try to figure out the answer to those questions than become bored with explanation. Of course, I know everything about my characters. I know all their backstories and everything that led them up to the moments that are in the story. The question is, how much do you add? And this is a really stylistic choice. Some authors do backstory really well and rely on big chunks of backstory as they move through the story. Whatever your tendency, one thing should remain true. Backstory should only come into play when the audience needs to understand the way the past directly influences the present. This moment, right now. If, for example, you have a character who's invited over to another friend's house and is left alone with food on the dinner table, his relationship with food will determine his actions in that moment. If he's never had a steady source of food, he may consider pocketing a bread roll, even if that means risking being called a thief and losing the friendship. If, however, he's grown up in a situation where he was comfortable, such an action would instead be indicative of somebody malicious and untrustworthy. The reasoning behind an action tells the reader much more than the action itself. This is why backstory and the audience's knowledge of backstory is important for their understanding of a given character. That's not to say you can't slow drip information to the audience in anticipation of a large moment or reveal. Sometimes setting the backstory early means the climax is much more powerful because the audience has had time to sit with the information and to ponder how it's affected this character. So how exactly does one go about putting in backstory? There are no shortage of ways to do this, and we've already talked about a pretty good one not to do, which is a wall of text that flat out tells readers exactly what they need to know, like they're reading a news article. And yes, I have actually read books that have had whole chunks, five pages or more, where the character was canonically reading an encyclopedia. I don't recommend that. One way I like working with backstory is with little moments, a sentence to a paragraph that slips information into the story like it was always supposed to be there, kind of like weaving a basket. It appears and then disappears and then appears again. Think of these clues like a mystery. You don't want to give too much information at one time, just enough to both widen the audience's understanding and leave them with a whole host of productive questions. Keyword productive. You don't want to make them too confused too fast. Imagine a scene where a character is getting ready. A simple scene. Maybe they're getting dressed for work or preparing for a big show. Maybe a date is coming by later. Whatever the situation, think of one piece of information you absolutely need the audience to know. Does this person actually work for a spy organization? Are they a robot? Are they not actually who they say they are and have fled their old town under a new name? Whatever the situation, think of maybe a one or two sentence line that you could convey this to the audience. Can you make it dramatic? 
make it drop so hard the audience has to go back and reread it for fear that they miss something. If you have a short scene, one to two paragraphs, keep this reveal down to just one thing, one piece of information. If you have a longer scene, a page or more, experiment with more reveals. How many can you fit in there and still have the story move along its pacing and along its tension the way it's supposed to? I'll share a scene I wrote for this exact exercise. It's a bit of a longer one, but I wanted to give you an example that contained a few backstory moments so you can see what it looks like. It follows Callista, whom we've seen a few times over these episodes. She's becoming a recurring character, but she's fun to write, so for now I'm going to keep her in. Um, She's in her dressing room where she prepares for her job as an illegal fighter in an underground ring. See if you can catch the places I'm giving information directly to the audience, even if it doesn't feel like it. Callista cursed through the string clenched between her teeth. Her fingers worked to thread the lower lace over and through, but the tiny piece of rope kept catching on the glove or slipping from her sweaty fingers or twisting away from the knot she tried to make. The door across from her opened. Caden had it knocked, because he never did. He just slipped through the smallest crack he could make and let the bolt catch behind him. He stared at her for a moment. She stared back. Need help? he asked. His voice, luckily, remained steady. No waver in it today. Callista shook her head. I'm good. With a smirk, Caden crossed the tiny room. He took a seat backwards on the empty chair in front of her and patted the back, which now formed a makeshift platform between them. Hand here. Callista settled her wrist on the hard plastic. Thanks. His fingers took the laces with surety, looping them over and around each other and tucking each knot out of the way within the fabric of the glove. Callista watched as he made neat work of the heavy fighting leathers, like he'd done it a thousand times, and of course he had, tying her gloves for her before every match. The tremble that sometimes shivered its way down Caden's arms, turning his deft fingers to jerky, malfunctioning appendages, stayed behind the door where it belonged. What? Caden asked, his electric blue eyes flicking up to meet hers. You're staring. I am not. He finished the last lace and picked up the other glove from the tiny table behind her. You're staring like mom used to. If you have something to ask me, just ask it. Callista focused on getting her fingers into the tight sleeve, flexing them under the ridge of reinforced leather. Are you clean today, or is this just a good dose? Sometimes, questions about Caden's habits caused his eyes to go dark and his mouth to spoil and his arms to cross like a bratty child's. But not today. Today, Caden laughed, threw his head back, and let his voice fill the tiny room. Don't you worry about me, he said. Get your head in the fight where it belongs. Okay, let's take a moment to break this down. Where are the spots that I told you relevant background information? The first spot is barely even half a sentence when Caden first walks in. Caden had it knocked because he never did. This tells us something about Caden. Either he doesn't respect anyone's privacy, or he doesn't respect Callista's. If I were a new reader, I would guess the latter. This is from Callista's point of view, so we can only reliably trust her experience. So we glean, then, that Caden and Callista must be pretty close. Otherwise, she would have reacted negatively to this intrusion. Next, we get the line, His voice luckily remained steady. No waver in it today. So this tells us there's some kind of health issue going on. Maybe he has a medical condition, physical or mental. He might be on a medication that has some side effects. 
or as is the case in this story, and as we'll find out later, addicted to illicit substances. Then a little further down the page, it goes to action next, but then we get a little more insight than just a couple fragments of sentences. We get this little chunk. Callista watched as he made neat work of the heavy fighting leathers, like he'd done it a thousand times, and of course he had, tying her gloves for her before every match. The tremble that sometimes shivered its way down Caden's arms, turning his deft fingers to jerky, malfunctioning appendages, stayed behind the door where it belonged. Okay, so we're able to confirm that these two characters have some kind of history with each other. We don't entirely know what that relationship is yet. That'll be solved for us in about two sentences. But you may be starting to form an idea of what it could be in your mind. Then we get the part about the trembling, that Caden could have these episodes, and it happened often enough that Callista is looking for them. This gives us the idea that it's something recurring. Now the most likely options are medical condition or addiction. The next piece of backstory comes as dialogue. It's a good way to break the pacing of Calissa doing all of the information dumping. Varying your backstory sources is a great way to keep the reader engaged, too. By having Caden say, you're staring like mom used to, if you have something to ask me, just ask it, we're able to glean that these two people are siblings. They share mom. By the way they talk and jab at each other, we can guess maybe one or two years apart. They're pretty close. After that, we get Callista's question. Again, dialogue, letting us know what's going on. Are you clean today, or is this just a good dose? This line cements Caden's condition. He's an addict. What he's addicted to, we don't know, but we're told that this is an ongoing addiction. He's at the very least functional, meaning he either has a handle on it, or he's in a stage where he's sober and he could relapse. Given the wording of this sentence, we can assume Caden has tried a few times to get clean, to little avail. Then we get the last bit of exposition. Sometimes questions about Caden's habits caused his eyes to go dark and his mouth to spoil and his arms to cross like a bratty child's, but not today. Today, Caden laughed, threw his head back, and let his voice fill the tiny room. This lets us know that Caden has mood swings depending on how the drug is affecting him, that he's defensive about the habit and therefore likely not ready to address or acknowledge the situation. See how much information can be woven into a scene by using these little sentences or fragments thereof? You were never given so much information that you became bored or disinterested, hopefully, anyway. But instead, the little tidbits helped you to create a wider understanding of the moment, which you used to decode the character's actions and reactions. This is my preferred way to weave in backstory, mostly because I don't like turning away from my major narrative. I like to keep the pacing going strong and fast, and I hesitate to turn my reader's attention to another time or place unnecessarily. But that's my own personal writing style. There are many more ways to clue in your reader to something they need to know. Flashbacks are a really common way to explain this, either through dreams or memories or sometimes non-diegetic chapters where the author is telling the reader something that the character is not necessarily thinking about in the story. Flashbacks work best, in my opinion, when they've been given the room to happen completely. Sometimes authors will cut a flashback short because they're trying to get back to the main narrative. I think if you're going to do a flashback, go all in. Once I've accepted that the narrative has moved back in time and I'm seeing something from the past, I don't necessarily want to be rushed back to the present. I want the story arc to play out in its entirety, beginning, middle, end. Think of a flashback like its own mini-story. 
it has to have all of the things a good story has. It has to orient the reader and do it pretty quickly because you're working with a small amount of space. Where, when, who, all in the first, I would say, three to five sentences. Otherwise, you risk confusing your reader. It must rise in tension. Something should happen that raises the stakes for their character. If the flashback explains a dangerous flight from Nazi-occupied France, detailing how a character joined the resistance, you can see how such a memory would be filled with tension and action. Or the memory of a last time a child saw a mother. The possibilities are endless, and the main takeaway here is that your flashback should contain its own narrative tension. Whether that narrative tension is solved or not is largely up to you. If you bring your flashback all the way up to the point of reality, there will be some release of tension because the audience will feel now that they're brought up to speed. They know everything they need to know. They've gotten the big reveal. There's nothing else for them to wonder about or make up in their own heads until the story starts again. If you end the flashback earlier than the present, but still at a time when we can kind of see how they got from point A to point B, then there will be less resolution. Leaving that character fleeing the Nazis alone in a rickety train car doesn't explain how they found and joined the resistance, for example, but it gets us close enough to keep the mystery of the character. One caution with flashbacks, once you start doing them more than a few times, it kind of becomes a one-trick pony. At worst, the audience will start wondering why the story they're reading about in the past is way cooler than the current narrative they're reading. You want to keep your flashbacks limited to the one or two most important ones that explain something deep and vital about the story or about your character. Literary fiction writers can get away with this a little bit more because of the nature of their genre. Stream of consciousness writing tends to have more flexibility with moving time and place. If I'm spending all my time inside a character's head with little outside action, for example, it's not unreasonable that this person may be dwelling on memories or how one memory may feed into another. My own brain does that, so it's not a stretch for me to think that a character's could too. The lyrical style often accompanying literary fiction will help with that as well, because the lyrical style will give the reader something to latch onto while they move back and forth through time. Backstory can also be given through dialogue, just like the few instances we saw in the earlier example. Dialogue is a fantastic way to deliver backstory, and one of my favorites, um, be just because people tell things to each other all the time. We do it every day, and to a reader, it hardly feels like telling. It feels like two people having a conversation. When it's done well, that is. I have noticed that less experienced writers, and I'm including TV writers who presumably get paid lots of money to do what they do, sometimes use dialogue like a sledgehammer beating the character's past into the audience. There's a show that I won't call by name, but its first episode seriously almost entirely consists of characters who live together and therefore presumably know each other quite well, asking or telling each other things that they should very much already know. Such lines as, how was your job at the music store? And how was 10th grade today? And, well, you know, the divorce was pretty bad, so I don't think she would want to see me. Now, those aren't all lifted exactly from the show, but they give you a really good idea of the kind of really terrible writing that was going on there. None of those lines are things people who actually like each other would say. So keep that in mind when you're working on explaining through dialogue. Always think, what would this person really ask given their level of knowledge? 
if my brother came home from his the job he had in high school, for example, I would say something like, how was work? I can see the woodwork of the new barn from the road now. It's bigger than you made it sound. Not only is that a real question I actually asked my brother during my senior year and his junior year, but do you have a good idea of what he did? He helped a family friend of ours with construction around their farm. They put up a huge barn together that they now use for weddings. The point is, like all things in writing, you kind of need to work two angles simultaneously. Yes, you need to tell your audience information, but more importantly, you need to tell them information in such a way that they don't really realize they're being told. It's kind of like working with children. Tell them they're learning and they'll protest all day. Tell them that you really shouldn't explain how the ancient Egyptians used sleds to move the blocks that built the pyramid, and they will immediately run and tell all of their friends and all the other teachers, and that in the process will cement the information in their brain. Another point of caution with dialogue. I have genuinely read books that contain, I kid you not, 10 pages of one character telling a story. Unbroken. No one interrupts, no one asks questions, the text doesn't break away into a really beautiful stylized retelling that moves into scene or has beautiful prose. It's just one character talking with quotation marks every new paragraph. I'm not saying that that can't be done well and that especially if you have a character who has a really intriguing way of talking or who uses different words and phrases that that can be intriguing. I'm only saying that I skipped that whole part because my brain refused to process that much text at once. The last point I'll make about backstory is a complaint I often get from friends who want to write but don't feel that they can. A lot of people say to me, no, I don't know what to write. I have no idea what I would make happen in that story. And then about three sentences later, they proceed to tell me the most intricate, multi-layered backstory to their original character and how the, it affected their character and how the society this, they created responded to it. If that sounds like you, listen closely. Write that. Write your backstory. If it has action and intrigue and tension, and most importantly, you're interested in it, write it. I promise you, your story will not suffer for it. The only way a story can suffer is if you try to keep all that amazing imaginary work in the background and then force something that doesn't fit as your main storyline. If this is you, please, please, please write your backstory. If you're waiting for someone to give you permission, I'm here to tell you that I would much rather read a really cool backstory than a story that wishes it could be something else. This is why prequels do so well when there's so much in the backstory that it kind of turns into a beast and a story of its own, that's a good indication that it should have been written first. Thank you to everyone for listening to this episode. Please feel free to go back, pause, or replay any part that was helpful to you. If you're interested in telling us a story about your own writing experience or sharing your work with us, especially if you do any of the examples included in these episodes, or you just want to say hi, you can send us an email at writeturn at gmail.com, or you can click the link in the description of this episode. If you'd like to engage with the community in other ways, you're welcome to subscribe to the newsletter at jordanmgriffin.com, which will also tell you when new episodes come out since our upload schedule is still a little wonky. Uh, in addition, I have an Instagram now, which will also let you know when I upload videos. Link to both of those will be in the episode description. As always, I hope this episode was helpful to you, and I wish you all the best in your own writing. 
Have a great day. And if it's not a good one, I hope that the next one is better. See you next time. Thank you.